everybody. My name is Matt Clancy, and this is New Things Under the Sun, the audio edition. This week's newsletter is on importing innovation. Nations tend to develop specialties in different areas of science and technology. Now, when one country has exceptional expertise that another lacks, what happens when knowledge workers migrate from the one to the other? Let's start with some case studies. So a 2014 study by Petra Moser, Alessandra Voena, and Fabian Waldinger study mostly Jewish German chemists who were dismissed from academic posts in the 1930s when the Nazis came to power. About 17% of all German and Austrian chemistry professors were dismissed in this way, and of this group, 26 appear to have immigrated to the United States. Moser, Voena, and Waldinger identify fields of chemical innovation where the immigrants were strong by looking at their patents. And they find U.S. and patenting in these areas increased significantly after 1933 when these German immigrants began to arrive in America. And that's as compared to the fields in which non-migrating German chemists were strongest. Now, half a century later, Russian scientists were migrating to Germany when the Soviet Union collapsed. A 2020 study by Eduardo Ferrucci uses a similar methodology as the previous paper to study the impact of this influx on German patenting. Ferrucci uses Soviet patenting, uh, Soviet patents taken out abroad because there wasn't a patent system within the USSR, to identify fields in which the USSR had comparative technological strength. Now, broadly speaking, this wasn't chemistry like in Germany, this was in fields like physics and electricity. After 1991, when Russian scientists began to arrive in Germany, Again, there's this uptick in German patenting in fields of Soviet strength, as compared to other fields. Now, lastly, let's think of recent work by Raj Chowdhury and Doyun Kim, which exploits a quirk of U.S. immigration law to estimate the impact of Chinese and Indian immigration on innovation using traditional herbal knowledge. Many firms want to hire more knowledge workers from abroad, but they're constrained by the cap on highly skilled migrant visas that's issued each year, which was about 65,000 per year in the 90s. In 1999, driven by the dot-com bubble, this cap was raised to 115,000 per year, and then in 2004, it dropped back down to 65,000. Now, during the period 1999 to 2004, firms had greater scope to hire foreign knowledge workers. And at the same time, there's this other group of firms and institutions, which is mostly but not exclusively universities, that were exempt from this visa cap through the whole period. So Chowdhury and Kim compare the patent output of firms affected by this visa cap expansion to those that weren't affected. And they're interested in the traditional herbal knowledge brought to America by Indian and Chinese migrants. So they build a database of patents that disclose the use of herbs in their title or abstract. They find the number of herbal patents sought by firms that get to hire more migrants increases sharply when the visa cap is lifted and then drops sharply when the cap is tightened. Whereas herbal patenting by these organizations that are exempt from the visa cap rules, um, their patenting doesn't change at all over this period. So across time and space, these three case studies all tell basically the same story. When country X has technological strength in a certain area, then country Y gets stronger in that area after scientists and engineers immigrate. 
It turns out the story can be generalized beyond just these three special cases. To see if this trend is general, earlier this year a paper by Danny Behar, Raj Chowdhury again, and Hillel Rappaport look at 95 countries and 651 different technology categories. Among other things, they look at the probability that a country experiences what they call a takeoff in patenting in a particular technology category after it receives more immigrants who are strong in that field. So here, a takeoff is defined as going from zero patents in that particular field to having a greater than average share of patents in that field. So for example, if the typical country has 5% of its patents in, say, nanotechnology, a country that goes from having zero nanotechnology patents to more than 5% of its patents in nanotechnology is one that has experienced a takeoff. It's a signification that you've gone from zero to sort of an above average national focus on that technology. And takeoffs are rare. Over the course of a decade, the probability a given technology field in a specific country experiences a takeoff is just 2.2%. But Behar, Chowdhury, and Rappaport estimate that when you double the number of immigrants who come from countries that are strong in that technology field, this raises that small probability by nearly a quarter to 2.7%. And note that doubling the immigration population strong in a particular field, that's not an unreasonable goal. The typical number of immigrants that are strong in a particular technology field is just 24. So these results are not driven by one or two countries. They sort of appear to be general, but we might worry that this is a spurious correlation. For example, if a country is planning to pump a bunch of resources into nanotechnology, it might pull in immigrant scientists who are also experts in that field, and that might create this correlation between immigration and subsequent takeoff. But it might be that the takeoff would have happened regardless of the immigration, since they were pouring money into that field anyway. So what you want to do is separate out immigration that is pulled in by sort of resources and technological opportunity and immigration that happens for other reasons. So the approach these guys take is to exploit variation in the number of immigrants that have already residing in that country from the past, because a lot of migration decisions are driven by sort of family connection rather than technology policy. And if you sort of restrict the uh, immigration you examine to immigration driven by these sort of historic links, you find essentially different results, but they're consistent, like they have wider air bars and they're consistent with the earlier results they get when they don't do all this extra work. Now, so far, this looks to be a general point. If you want to develop innovative capacity in a new field, one way to do that is to bring in people from abroad who already have expertise in that area. Not too surprising. But what is surprising, and what we're going to talk about for the rest of this newsletter or podcast, is the size of the effect. It's frequently bigger than the direct contributions of the immigrants themselves. So in Moser, Voena, and Waldinger's study of German chemists fleeing Nazi Germany, 157 U.S. chemistry patents can be directly attributed to these fleeing migrants. But after we exclude those patents, the number of U.S. patents in fields where German immigrants were strong nearly doubled after their entry, from about 150 to 290 per year per class. Now, if we look at other fields where German chemists who didn't immigrate were strong, there was also a rise there, 
but not nearly as strong, just from 220 to 250. Similarly, in Chowdhury and Kim's study of Indian and Chinese migrants, the number of new herbal patents increased from under about 20 per year to more than 50 per year for firms that were able to hire more migrants. And yet, herbal patents from inventors with typically Chinese and Indian names, which we can read, only increased to at most by at most 15 per year. And the annual number of herbal patents remained higher when the number of visas dropped back down to 65,000. It didn't return to its old level. It went down, but not all the way back down. So immigration appears to have triggered an increase in herbal patenting that extended beyond the activities of just these guest workers. Now, at least in these two cases, the effect of immigration on innovation was greater than the direct contribution of the immigrants themselves. We don't know about the other cases, like uh, the Soviets migrating to uh, Germany, or sort of the general case, because the, the data is just not in those papers. But we'll have reason to believe by the end of this uh, that this is a more general point, too. So one reason that this is a surprising result, or you might think it's surprising, is that we might expect talented immigrant inventors to displace less talented American inventors. And that would tend to mean the effect of immigration would actually, the net effect would be less than the direct contributions of the immigrants themselves, since it would be accompanied by a decline in patenting by U.S.-born inventors. And in fact, this does actually appear to happen. There is this decline. Moser, Voena, and Waldinger look at the fate of Americans who were already patenting in areas of German chemical strength prior to the arrival of the Germans. And these people were indeed less likely to patent in the same areas after the influx of talent. Instead, that rise in patenting seems to have come mostly from new inventors to the field, people who had not previously patented. Similarly, Ferrucci looks at what happens to German inventors who were previously active in fields where the Soviets were strong. They measure what happens to them after they collaborate with Russian immigrant scientists, and he finds that they're more likely to change the technology fields where they work after this experience. So maybe immigrants bring in new and better knowledge, and that tends to make the knowledge of the incumbents obsolete. But the thing about knowledge is that it spreads from mind to mind. What was once the advantage of an immigrant slowly becomes the advantage of everybody. And you can see evidence of this in a few places. Last year, a working paper by Shai Bernstein, Rebecca Diamond, Timothy McQuaid, and Beatrice Posada cleverly did this clever thing to infer the immigration status of hundreds of thousands of U.S. patentees by matching them via their name and address to this database called the Infutur database. Now, this database includes the birth year of millions of people and a fragment, not the complete, but a fragment of their social security number. Because social security numbers are dispersed according to a known formula, the authors can use it to infer the year the number was assigned to a patentee. And since they know the year they were also born, that means they can infer the age you were when you got assigned a social security number. Most US people, like 90%, are assigned a social security number at birth or when they work their first job, which is typically in their teenage years. And they show the vast majority of people who are assigned a social security number in their 20s are people who immigrated to the USA. So. Armed with evidence on the migration status of tons and tons of inventors who have U.S. patents, they show that the patents of immigrants are a bit more likely to cite foreign patents than the patents of U.S.-born inventors. Specifically, 
the share of citations to foreign patents is about three percentage points higher for immigrant inventors. Now, if we trust patent citations are signals of actual knowledge transfer, and they probably are at least a bit, then immigrants incorporate knowledge of foreign work into their own inventions at a higher rate than U.S.-born inventors. And the thing is that that knowledge probably transfers thereafter to U.S.-born inventors too. Most patents involve teams inventors, and more than half of the inventors that immigrants work with are not themselves immigrants, at least according to this database. So another paper from 2015 looks in even more detail at the effect of immigrants on citations, but in the specific context of academic work rather than patents. Now, that may actually be better data than the data we have on patent citations, since there are some potential issues with patent citations that won't be present for academic work. This is a paper by Ina Ganguly that also studies the collapse of the USSR, but looks at how citations to Soviet research change when Russians migrate to the United States. And so she has two main approaches. In the first, she looks at how many citations are made to Soviet-era scientific literature by non-Russian residents of different U.S. cities before and after the collapse of the USSR. On average, for each newly arrived Russian immigrant scientist, residents of a city make another eight citations per year to Soviet-era scientific literature. And remember, this is non-Russians. So the idea here is that these uh, immigrant scientists move to a city, and the city sort of learns about this existing Soviet research uh, that was out there but unknown to them. Second, she looks at how migration affects citations received by an individual scientific article. So she matches a migrating scientist to a set of control scientists who are similar along a bunch of dimensions and looks to see what happens to the citations their Soviet work receives from the U.S., again, from non-Russian U.S. residents, after they migrate. Now, the effect here is small, but it is there. Migration buys each of your papers about 0.03 extra citations per year from U.S. researchers relative to that control group who didn't migrate. So access to new knowledge for domestic inventors is one way that the innovation impact of immigration might be so big. Another is by enabling the combination of existing and new knowledge. Now, to the extent that innovation is about combining old ideas in new ways, teams composed of immigrant scientists and U.S.-born scientists who have different knowledge may be able to create inventions and innovations that are unavailable to either group on their own. And Chowdhury and Kim do find evidence of this. Patents that mention both an herbal compound, which they, you know, they believe is sort of the knowledge that Indian and Chinese uh, migrant workers bring with them, and patents that mention that and a synthetic compound, which they sort of view as the area where U.S. has a knowledge advantage, are more commonly invented by teams comprised of both immigrants and U.S.-born workers, as compared to teams comprised entirely of immigrants or U.S.-born workers. So to close, let's look at a grim but illuminating study. As noted above, Bernstein and co-authors have constructed this really interesting data set of U.S. inventors who migrated to the USA no earlier than their 20s. And though this group is only 16% of inventors in their data set, they actually account for more than 16% of all patents, fully 22% of all patents, over 1976 to 2012. And if you try to adjust for the quality of the patents, the share they, of value they bring is even larger. So the direct contribution to innovation of this group is already quite large, but they additionally seem to have a large and positive effect on their U.S. collaborators. 
to show this, the authors look at what happens to an inventor's collaborators, which is the other inventors that they're listed on patents with, when the inventor suffers an early death. And in this case, an early death is one that occurs prior to the age of 60. They have this information from their data set. For every, uh, for every inventor who dies early, they match them to a second inventor who didn't die early and was similar to the deceased in other ways up to that point in their life. So they have the same immigration status, they're about the same age at the year of death, they have similar patenting history, the number of co-inventors they've worked with is similar, and so on. So now they have two inventors who are similar in a lot of ways, except one of them died early. They then identify all the collaborators of those people and look to see what happens to them in the years after one inventor dies and the other lives. They find that those who previously worked with the deceased take out fewer patents every year as compared to those who worked with a similar inventor who did not die. However, when they split their results up by immigration status, they find the effect is stronger for immigrants. On average, when an immigrant collaborator dies early, U.S. inventors produce 0.4 fewer patents per year thereafter, compared to those whose co-author did not die. This effect lasts for at least a decade and seems to get stronger over time. For comparison, U.S. inventors working with a non-immigrant inventor produce 0.1 fewer patents per year after the inventor passes away. In other words, U.S. inventors benefit a lot from the ability to collaborate with immigrant inventors. And one way to see that is to see how many fewer patents they take out when they lose the ability to collaborate or even just talk with that inventor. So why is the impact of immigration on innovation so much greater than the activity of the migrants themselves? My take is that part of the story is the knowledge and ideas that the migrating scientists learned in their home countries comes along for the ride and then sets up house in the minds of the native born. And now it's time for the standard end of the episode boilerplate. You've been listening to a podcast from New Things Under the Sun, a living literature review with the mission of communicating what academia knows about innovation and accessible but rigorous research syntheses. New Things Under the Sun is a living literature review, which means I go back and update these research syntheses as new research is published or I discover it. The podcast you listen to is taken from the first published version of one of these syntheses. To see if there's been any updates about the claims made in this podcast, or to learn more about this project, head to newthingsunderthesun.com.